Well, I don't know if you are here last time I preached, but I have a new music stand. This one feels a lot more heavy duty. I appreciate the investment. I broke one a couple weeks ago, so somehow. Some said it was the weight of the sermon. It was so heavy that it crushed the music stand beneath it, so I don't know. Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. I'm really looking forward to what we're going to talk about today. I would say that uh, it's important. I I hope that it's exciting and that it's inspiring, but today's conversation is going to be difficult as well. And so um, let's just jump right in. What I want to do, Johnny did a great job of reading the scripture, but I want us to read it again. I'm going to read it for us. And there's a, there's a crucial word in there that I think is, is vital for us to understand as we step into this conversation of firm foundation. So I'm going to read it slowly again, and I want you to listen for one crucial word. See if you can figure out which word I'm talking about. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 5 says this. Proclaim the message. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Favorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For this time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. Did you hear it? Did you hear that crucial word? It's really easy to miss. It's really small. Anybody want to take a guess? Not truth. That's close. No? You're moving the wrong direction. You're getting colder, cat. You're getting colder. Uh, The word is the. The. I think it's important for us to understand, if you look with me at the second to last sentence, Paul says, that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and they will turn away from listening to the truth. Not a truth, the truth. See, as we step into this conversation about a, a firm foundation, it is absolutely crucial that all of us understand that we don't define truth. We discover truth. And that's what Paul is telling us there in that second to last sentence, that people would turn away from the truth, not turn away from the truth that they had defined for themselves or turn away from the truth that they thought was correct. They turned away from the truth. For us to have a firm foundation, we need to understand that God is the sole source of all truth and we are 100% dependent on him revealing that truth to us. He owns all truth. We don't define it. We discover it. And we see that. We see uh, just kind of the consequence of that. Jesus is making a a really stark example for us on the the necessity and the significance of truth. Uh, In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus tells this parable. And it's a parable to help us understand how important truth is. In the parable, just just kind of to paraphrase it, it, Jesus starts talking about this man uh, who built a house. And this man, in his wisdom, uh, built his house on the rock or on a firm foundation so that when the storms of life come, and how many can say we know that they come, right? Storms, nobody gets to avoid the the storms of life. That when the storms of life come, he and his family 
and his home would survive because he built his house on the firm foundation. And Jesus contrasts that to another man who built his house on the sand or on no foundation at all, very unstable. And that when the storms of life came, when we know they do, the man and his family and his home were destroyed and they suffered great loss. See, what Jesus is trying to help us understand uh, in this parable is he's trying to help us understand the significance of hearing God's word and living it, acting on it. See, in that parable, the man who built his house on the sand, he probably had heard of a foundation before. He probably had seen rocks before and knew how stable and strong they were. But because he wanted to build his house his own way, or maybe he wanted to build his house in, a, in the most convenient manner, he chose to build on the sand. So it's not enough for us as believers to know that there is a truth. We must know that there's a truth and act on it. Take advantage of it. Use it as it was intended to use. See, Jesus was trying to help us understand that there was literally life and death consequences for choosing to believe and live the word of God. That's what that parable is trying to illustrate for us. That there are benefits and safety and security in building a life on the solid rock of God's truth. And there are consequences, life and death consequences for choosing not to. So we are, we are called and we are urged by Jesus to build our lives on the firm foundation of truth. And our church, the church in general, has foundation problems. And those foundation problems are wrecking havoc on all of us. And I think it's amazing how, how one incorrect belief or one incorrect idea can wreak havoc and cause all sorts of destruction uh, to whatever it's affecting. I have a, a picture for us. We can put that picture up. So you can see here, this is, a, this is actually an art exhibit. I'm fancy like that. I go to art shows. Uh, not really. I Googled it. I found it. So uh, you can obviously, by looking at this brick wall, notice that in the center of that brick wall that there's something wrong, that it's out of whack. It's, it's not in unison. It's, it's, it's not really looking like it's supposed to look. But I don't know if you can see, but down at the very bottom, that very small white speck, let's go to that next picture. It's one book. One book. One thing in the wrong place doing the wrong thing at the foundation of this wall is making this wall weak and preventing this wall from being and doing what it was created to be and do. One small, incorrect thing at the foundation of this wall. Another, another way you might think of it with the, with the foundation problems is, uh, how many of you had foundation problems with your house? You ever woke up one morning, we got, a, we got somebody raising their hand over here. Charlotte's back there, two hands. It was like so exciting, you had to raise both hands, huh? <laughs> Foundation problems in your house. You wake up one morning, 
there's cracks in the wall. You can't open the windows. Uh, the doors have a weird shape to them, right? You go outside and you look, and the brick and mortar are starting to crack and show that there's something wrong uh, at the base, at the foundation, at the, at the most crucial point of your home. And so you make that dreaded phone call. You call the foundation repair people. Uh, they come out and they tell you what you don't want to hear, right? Uh, you got foundation problems. What's the very next thing they say? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you to fix it. It's amazing what they do. If you've never seen it, uh, they go out and they dig underneath the, the foundation of the house and they take these piers and they push them into the soil until they hit uh, bedrock, something solid and stable. And then they use that new solid foundation to actually re-level your foundation. Now, here's the deal. The church is facing a foundation problem, especially the United Methodist Church. Uh, it's not something we like to talk about. It's really not something we really want to address. In fact, for most of us, I think for a lot of us, we, we hope uh, that we'll just wake up one day and our house will somehow have just re-leveled itself. We won't have to have done anything. And we can just say, thank you, that's awesome. But that, that's just wishful thinking. That's not, that's not how it happens when your home's foundation is compromised. That's not how it's going to happen when uh, a church's foundation is compromised. But there is good news. Uh, the good news is that we have a God who has showed us how to restore and fix our foundation. Even better, that same God paid the price. He covered the bill so that we might be able to restore the foundation of our church. And see, this foundation problem uh, is not unique to the United Methodist Church. Churches throughout the generations have faced seasons and trials and circumstances where their foundation was tested. And sadly, many times their foundation was compromised. In fact, uh, our scripture that we read today in 2 Timothy, that is Paul addressing Timothy on that very issue. Again, I want to remind you, he said, to proclaim the message, be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Doesn't sound very, very, you know, like there's a whole lot of agreement going on. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. But have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. And they will turn away from listening to the truth. And they will wander away to myths. See, Paul understood something. He understood that a time was coming and for us is here when people will no longer put up a sound doctrine. But they'll follow after teaching that suits their own desires. Teaching that encourages them to do what they want to do what they have defined as right, what they have defined as truth. They're going to wander after myths. Uh, they're going to follow after anyone that encourages them to live their life the way they have decided they want to live it. They, they're going to follow after anyone who affirms the truth that they have decided is true. But there's some problems with that. Number one, like we said at the beginning of our conversation, we don't get to define truth. We can only discover truth. So if you're defining truth for yourself, you're playing the role that only God can successfully play. Because he's all-knowing and he's all-powerful and we are limited and we are uh, compromised because of sin. Uh, the other problem with it, uh, this is a major problem, 
myths and false truths don't have the power to transform lives. Only Jesus Christ has the power to transform lives. Now you may, your, your truth that you define for yourself, that might be able to make an impact on your life for a season. It might make your life more enjoyable in the short term. But Christ in his truth can make an eternal difference. Can change and empower and, and restore you for all time, not just sometime. So let's, let's get back to the, the foundation problem. Let me tell you what, what, what our foundation problem is in the United Methodist Church right now. Currently, uh, the church, the United Methodist Church, is wrestling with the issue of human sexuality. What's okay, what's not okay. But really, uh, that issue is just a symptom. Uh, to borrow another metaphor, uh, it's just the tip of the iceberg of the real problem. Now, if you don't know, this is kind of getting into United Methodist politics, so I'm going to try to uh, make it understandable as best I can. If it doesn't make sense to you, uh, please find me after the service, find Rick or Roman. Uh, we want you to be well informed on what's going on. But if you don't know, the United Methodist Church has scheduled a general conference for this February 2019. Now, um, some of you might say, what's, what's a general conference? That sounds very general. Uh, the General Conference of the United Methodist Church is the only body that can officially speak for the United Methodist Church. So imagine uh, the U.S. Senate or Congress uh, gathering together uh, to discuss and debate a bill and then vote on that bill, and that bill becomes law. That's very similar to what's going to happen at this General Conference. Uh, delegates, both clergy, so pastors, reverends, and lay delegates, so people like, you know, all of us from all over the world, from church, United Methodist churches from all over the world are going to gather together uh, in Seattle in February, and they're going to debate, and they're going to discuss one issue, human sexuality. And more specifically, uh, they're going to uh, discuss the issue of, of homosexuality. And more specifically than that, how uh, the issue of homosexuality relates to the ordination of clergy and churches performing same-gender unions. That's what they're going to discuss. That's what they're going to uh, debate. And that's what they will vote on and make a determination about how the United Methodist Church will proceed forward on that topic of human sexuality. In essence, uh, they will take a vote and make a determination whether our book of discipline, which is our church law, is going to stay the same or is going to be changed. Now, it's a complex issue. Uh, it's very complex and, and sensitive to walk through. Uh, that's why Pastor Rick, uh, and let me just tell you, uh, I just respect uh, Rick so much for, for taking this move uh, and being vulnerable like this and gathering people together and giving people a voice and a chance to discuss such a, a sensitive and sometimes volatile topic. Uh, not all pastors uh, are willing or able to do that, but he is. And so he's going to be leading a class on this issue. It's going to be on Sunday nights at 6.30 right here in the fellowship hall. You already know how to get here, so that's good. Uh, and everyone's invited. Everyone, I hope you come. I'm going to be there. Uh, Christine's going to be there. Uh, and it's really the whole goal is for us to go deeper on this issue and talk about this issue, about the future of the Methodist Church uh, in a civil manner. Can I get an amen for civil manner? 
right? We got to practice that a little bit more. So as I said, human sexuality is just, is really just the tip of the iceberg. That's just uh, evidence of a, of a, that's just symptom of, of a deeper issue uh, for our church and for our foundation. And the deeper issue that we're really wrestling with, uh, and we'll explore this more uh, in the conversations this evening, is what the, the real source of the issue is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he just some great teacher, some great motivational, inspirational teacher, or is he the, the true son of God, equal to the Father and to the Holy Spirit? Another issue that we're really facing is what authority does Scripture have? If Scripture's truth and my truth conflict, who wins? Does the truth of God's word trump what I think is true? What is the purpose of the church? Is the purpose of the church to lead uh, nations and tribes and people into a saving, eternal, changing, uh, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the forgiveness of sins? Or is our role uh, to be a community help group and we just make sure people are clothed and well-fed and uh, they have babysitting and they got great educational programs? What's the role of the church? Ultimately, all that comes down to what is our foundation? What are we building on. So in the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those, uh, some of the foundational beliefs of the church, and, and we promise uh, it's not going to be boring, okay? Uh, that's one of our goals, is for it not to be boring. In fact, I, I hope for you, it is for us, that it's exciting, that we can look back and see what men and women who built their lives on the true foundation of, of, of God's Word, what they accomplished, what God did through them. In fact, Really, I hope that you see through those conversations the power of, of transformation and that, that transformation is the lifeblood of our denomination. Because without, without the power of Jesus to transform lives, our church will become what John Wesley was afraid and predicted it would become. John Wesley, way back in the 1700s, at the height of the strength of the United Methodist movement, he said this. He said that he was afraid that the United Methodist Church would have the form of religion without the power. The form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast to the doctrine, spirit, and discipline for which they first set out. Now, why, why would John Wesley be so concerned that, that this United Methodist movement that would later become a United Methodist church uh, would have the form of, of religion with, without the power? Well, if you know his life, I think a good, good guess is that he was a part of a church that's foundation had become so compromised that they had the form of religion without the power. He had experienced firsthand what that was like. And I can tell you, uh, there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than having the form of religion and no power. Uh, I don't want to be a part of a church that doesn't have the power to transform lives. Our preaching team, our staff, does not want to be a part of a church that doesn't have the power of Christ to transform lives. One of the primary reasons that we answered this calling is because we hoped to, to be a part of and to come alongside other people and witness Hearts being mended, that we get to see the power of sin being broken. We get to be a part of offering hope to the hopeless. 
We get to see and witness somebody making that transition from being guilty in their sins to be forever forgiven from their sins. That, that's our hope, that, that our church, that our denomination stands for that and that we have the power to be a part of things like that. But that will only happen if we hold true to the truth that we've received in Scripture, if we make a commitment to live for Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. See, John Wesley, again, who was the founder of the Methodist movement, he understood the power of transformation. In fact, he experienced it on May 24th, 1738, way back when. Uh, He experienced the power of transformation. I just want to read for you quickly. Uh, This is from John Wesley's journal. He says this, In the evening... I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. So think of a society as like a a large Bible study, a large grow group. One who was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans about a quarter before nine while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And I began to pray with all my might for those who had in a more especial manner despitefully used me and persecuted me. I then testified openly to all there what I now first felt in my heart. Now what you would expect to follow after that is, and thus my leadership in the great movement of the United Methodist Church began. Or, thus, I answered my call to ministry. But what you need to understand is, when this happened, John Wesley was already an ordained Anglican priest. He had already traveled from England to the United States as a missionary. And he had already begun the Methodist movement. But John Wesley, in his own words, would say that it was this day that he was reborn. It was this day that he experienced transformation. Now, how could that be? Well, it happened because early on, John Wesley only only understood God intellectually. But he had never experienced God in his heart. And Methodism, our roots, Methodism is a religion of the heart of transformed hearts. For Wesley, uh, early on, he lived his life with this false idea, this false understanding about uh, true faith. He had this wrong idea that if, if he lived a life that was good and holy and he followed all the rules and he was good enough, that God would accept him and save him. But a foundational truth of our faith is that we can never save ourselves. It is only by the great grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ that we can be saved. It is by the power of God and the power of God alone that we can experience salvation. In fact, Zechariah 4, 6 reminds us, it says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So a foundational truth that we need to understand is that we are broken and wretched without Jesus. We are hopeless. It's like expecting a drowning person to save themselves. It just can't happen. We are desperate for God's saving grace. 
And once we accept that salvation that Jesus offers, we can be set free. We can be set free for transformation. Now, I just want to share with you just quickly my own story of transformation. Um, I think I'm a Methodist because I, without knowing it, I was a lot like John Wesley. Um, I kind of was raised going to church uh, because you're supposed to go to church. That's why we went. And I was raised in the Baptist church, and like uh, any good Baptist, I got saved. I gave my life to Christ. I accepted his salvation, whatever word you wanted to do, um, at a summertime Baptist revival. And uh, got baptized the very next Sunday. And thus began uh, my life as a Christian. Uh, but I didn't have very much peace. See, I'd, I'd understood God intellectually. I, I understood what the pastor was saying. If you want to go to heaven, you need to come down here to the front. You need to repeat these words after me. You need to get baptized, and you need to be a good boy. Don't do anything bad. Follow all the rules. Don't say any cuss words. Don't drink. Don't speed. Don't jaywalk. Don't say anything angry in your mind about your mom or dad. And maybe you'll be good enough. And let me tell you, that's no way to live. That life is full of anxiety, fear, uh, a haunting sense of never being enough, and no peace. Because see, if it's dependent on me, I'm always going to mess up. I'm always going to fail. I'm always going to fall short. And if it's dependent on me, in order for me to know that I'm enough, I need to know where the standard is. You know what Jesus says the standard is? Himself. The standard's perfection. And so as I strove and struggled uh, to achieve perfection, I just got frustrated and fearful and anxious, and I experienced no peace. And thankfully, when I got to college, I became a part of the Wesley Foundation at WT. Kendall Meek was the director at the time, and through a friendship with him, I slowly started to understand that a relationship with Christ was not built on rule following. It wasn't built on trying to be enough. It was built on trusting that Jesus was enough. He was enough. And as I began to understand that, as I'm still trying to understand that today, uh, I experience more peace. The more I understand that he is enough, that his sacrifice was enough, the more peace I experience, the more confidence I have, and the more my life is transformed. And so I just want to encourage you today, if you are struggling, if, if you have fallen into this lie that you have to be enough, I just want you to experience freedom today. I want you to experience freedom because Jesus is the only one who is enough. And you will not know peace. You won't. You will not know peace until you know that truth. Because he is the only one who can be enough. So I'm going to invite Jason and the worship team to come back up. And what I want to do today uh, is going to make some of you uncomfortable. And I'm okay with that. I hope you are too. Um, I would be a poor pastor if I preached this sermon and did not give uh, an opportunity for someone to 
put their faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. So while the worship team plays softly, no rush, guys, you are doing great. Um, I'm going to invite everybody to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. And this is not an effort to embarrass anybody or uh, to manipulate anybody. I want you to feel the freedom to, to do whatever you feel led to do. But I just want to ask, with everyone's head bowed and everyone's eyes closed, um, if you're in this room and you have never asked Jesus to be your Savior, you've never asked Jesus to forgive you from your, from your sins, you've never asked Him to come and be your King and live and rule in your life, and you would like to, you would like to do that. I'm just going to ask you to, with, you, with everyone's head bowed and everyone's eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And I'm not going to make you come up here and give a speech uh, or prove that you're enough. I'm just going to lead you through a short prayer. So if there's someone in this room that would like to give their lives to Christ and receive his forgiveness and his grace, just raise your hand and we'll move forward. Okay, well, if everyone will open your eyes and look up, the, the good news is, uh, as far as I'm going to believe, all of us have put our faith in Christ and have received his forgiveness, which is great. That's ideal, right? Um, now, this is the part where it might make some of you uncomfortable. Uh, while Jason and the team is doing this, in this next song, I'm going to ask some of you uh, to respond. Um, for me, um, the reason, even though this pursuit of enough was uncomfortable and it caused anxiety and I had no peace, I still chased it because I had pride. I thought I could. Like, oh, well, I messed up that time, but this time I'm gonna try really, really hard and I'm not gonna do that thing or I'm gonna try really, really hard and I'm gonna read my Bible every day and I'm gonna pray every day. And I had this pride that shackled me and kept me from God's peace and enjoying the beauty and the rest that comes from his salvation. I struggle with it to this day. That, that, that allure of pride and that, that lie that maybe I could do it on my own. And so uh, to inoculate us from pride, we have to embrace humility. And so during this worship song, if, if you are struggling with that, if you're struggling to, to trust Jesus to lead in your life, if you're struggling to trust that, that he's enough and that he was enough and that it's not dependent on you, if you're struggling to uh, define your own truth instead of trusting Jesus to define truth for you, I'm going to invite you to humble yourself and come and kneel at the altar. You don't have to say anything. No one's going to try to say anything to you. But that simple act of coming forward and humbling yourself can break that power of pride and, and, and just prepare you to receive more of God's peace and prepare you to trust him to be enough. And so I'm gonna pray quickly and then let the worship team uh, lead. Father in heaven, I just pray for all of us. I thank you, Father, that as far as I'm aware, all those who are gathered here have received your grace and have received your forgiveness and, and we are bound to be your sons and daughters for all eternity. But Father, I, I just... Knowing my own struggles, it's hard for me to believe that uh, there are not a few of us in this room that though we have received your grace and forgiveness, we have not received your peace because uh, we are not depending on you and your power of transformation. We're depending on ourselves. 
we're trying to be good enough, faithful enough, you know, uh, we're trying to uh, do it all on our own instead of trusting you to do it in and through us. So I just pray that um, there's anyone in here who is bound by pride and is because of that not experiencing your peace that, that you would draw them here. You would draw them to the altar. You'd give them the courage to humble themselves and just make room for your power uh, to, to uh, come into their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.